podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. What's good, boys and girls? Welcome to your two-footed podcast on Friday, the 4th of December. Match week 11 is upon us, and we have nine games this weekend because Newcastle versus Aston Villa has been called off. Joining me to preview these nine games is, of course, Mr. Guy Drinkle. How are you, sir? I am good, Dave. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Um, it's, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to getting all of these predictions wrong as I do. That's, that's generally my, my MO with these, but uh, a couple of fun games this weekend. And, uh, why don't we just get started? Yeah. And, and probably starting off with a not so fun one as usual with Burnley games, Burnley v Everton, um, Burnley, uh, bit up and down as as always obviously got the first win a couple games ago then the man city game ended as everyone yeah, as it every, always does yes yes <laughs> as no one wanted to put money on because it wouldn't happen again and then it did and everton who are in a real slump at the minute the very up and down team um pretty much since the merseyside derby where they decided to ruin two two seasons for each team that that one um but what what do you make of this one yeah, so obviously Everton started the season brilliantly. First five games, they were really good. But the last five, one win and four defeats, uh, it's not what Carlo will have wanted. Last weekend, obviously, against Leeds was a super exciting game. And while it only ended 1-0, it could have been anything. I mean, it could have been 6-3 to Leeds. It could have been 8-4 to Leeds. Leeds were the better team. Leeds dominated the game. Everton did put in a good showing, but it, you know it did it did open some eyes as to holes in that defence. And if Leeds finishing had been better, credit to uh, to Tiny Arms, he did make a couple of good saves. Notably, the two best saves he made weren't with his arms, so maybe he does have a normal sized torso <laughs> and legs. Uh, Burnley are just a disaster of a season so far. Nineteenth, five points, one win just rolled over for City again last week. I mean, City were good. There's no way to get around the fact that City played well last weekend, but Burnley did their very best to help them out. I mean, at least three of the goals are down to Burnley's shocking defending. Um, Bailey Peacock Farrell did his damnedest to add a sixth <laughs> after making a good save from uh, from Gabby Jesus. Then tried to throw the ball into his own net, only to be denied by VAR. Um, so you look at this, and based on where they are on the table, Everton should win this game comfortably. Everton are without Luca Dina, who's ruled out for a couple of months. Seamus Coleman is in with a shout, but I still think this game will come too early. And then Jean Philippe Gabaman, uh, he, I think, is there, Thiago Alcantara, in that I'm not really sure if he exists or if he's just a figment of people's imagination. He is back in training, but not, not close to a, to a return yet, another T- couple of weeks Tiago's been back in training like since the Merseyside derby. R- rumours every week. Oh, Tiago trained today, there's pictures. 
Oh, is he with the team? No, no, it's just him and a physio. Oh, okay, so he's not actually in training yet. He's just running around the kicking yeah, the ball. Yeah, exactly. He's turned, um, up, he's turned up for his job. There you go. <laughs> that's exactly it. He's literally just turning up, you know, just to keep his attendance up. Um, Burnley have a bunch of people that have question marks over them for injuries. Jack Cork is, is still ruled out, um, which is a big blow for them. Dale Stevens is facing a late fitness test. Robbie Brady, Nick Pope, and Josh Brownhill should all be fit in time, but none of them are going to be at 100%. Pope might be all right. He obviously had a concussion. So it'll just be interesting to see if they bring him back or if they give him another another few days. I doubt Peacock Farrell's performance mm-hmm. last week did much to, uh, to, to build confidence in him. Uh, Phil Bardsley and uh, Johan Berg-Goodmanson are doubtful, but they'll have fitness tests, and we'll see. They might make the bench. All things considered, I think Everton are the better team. There's no doubt about that. But it's at Burnley. It's the early kickoff on a Saturday. It's a weird game with both of them in such funky form. I'm going to give Burnley the benefit of the doubt, and I'm going to say it's going to be a one-all draw. Mm. Because I just feel like Dyche is going to need to induce panic mode quite soon. And mm. what that will do is it will cause Burnley to become super defensive. Well, we've seen Very in this situation before, haven't we? When Was it the Europa League year where the yeah, league yeah. form just went terrible? Went down the toilet. Yeah. I mean, they were they were dreadful to start the um, the Premier League season that year. And in truth, he turned it around quite well. They'd obviously finished seventh the year before and got into the Europa. They ended up 15th that season, but their start of the, ta- of the of the campaign, they drew the first game, then they lost four in a row, then they won two in a row, then they drew, then they lost three in a row, drew, lost three in a row, won, and then lost three in a row. So you bring that all the way up, That's that brings them up to past Christmas that year, mm. and they had already lost 13 games and only won three. And yet they turned it around second half of the season. They went in a nice run um, with five wins and three draws uh, from from eight games. Then they did lose four in a row again. But then they won three in a row, got a draw, and then lost their last three to finish 15th. In truth, if they hadn't had, you know, even if they'd had one less terrible run, uh, they could have finished a decent bit higher in the table Mm. because the table tends to get so congested around... Um, you know the midpoint of the, of of the table, so we know Burnley are capable of turning it round. We know Dyche is capable of turning it round. I've said before, I think he's one of the best managers in the league, and a lot of these players, the likes of Matty Lawton, Charlie Taylor, James Tarkovsky, Ben Mee, um, you know, in fact, you could, I could go through the whole squad because the squad turns over so little. A lot of these players have been through this before. They've been through the terrible start to the season and they know how to turn it around. And I believe Dyche will turn it around. I really do think he turns this round and gets them safely into 14th or 15th again this season. Um, which, given the fact that they spent no money in the summer, given the fact that they just don't back him nearly enough, and I do think this could be his last season there, I think if he can get them to 14th or 15th, he can chalk it down as another good season, given the start, given the circumstances. Uh, so I'll go one all in this game. 
Yeah, they, they could finish Stone Dead 20th. He'd still get a Premier League job pretty easily. Yeah. <laughs> um, on to another relegation candidate, and I don't mean Man City or this game, Man City v Fulham. Um, obviously, Man City had their scheduled, let's go with scheduled, uh, 5-0 win over Burnley. But Fulham mm. have been improving lately as well. They have. So, Fulham look quite decent at the moment. Um, they obviously beat Leicester. It was a great result. And the previous two games, they were very unlucky not to get a draw. Uh, against Everton, they lost 3-2 at home, but they missed a penalty. Against West Ham, they lost 1-0 away. But again, they missed a late penalty. And then they beat West Brom the previous game. So from the last four games, two wins, and it, it should have been two draws. And that's something they can take a bit of confidence from. Um, they've gotten themselves out of the bottom three, even if it may be temporarily. But they've got good players playing well. I mean, Zambo and Gisa is in great form this year. That centre-back pairing of Anderson and Tolson is looking mm. very, very solid. Ariola seems to have settled into the league. They seem to be getting areas of the team correct. I don't think Scott Parker does them many favours with some of the tactical decisions he makes, but they are looking better than they did, say, six weeks ago. Um, well, they did take Dennis Adoy out the team. Yeah, well, that that was the big thing. The likes of him <laughs> and Tim, Tim Ream, Ream yeah. you know, I mean, they're they're fine championship players, but they're not good enough at this level. They're just not good enough at this level. Mm. They're not even like Cameron uh, Jerome where you're halfway between. They are just pure championship. Yeah, that's exactly it. And the thing is, I think they're ideally mid-table championship players. I mm. don't think they're top-end championship players, but I think the likes of Mitrovic, Harrison Reed, mm. um, Josh Onima, I think those guys were good enough to drag them into the playoffs. Because remember, they come through the playoffs. So, Well, Michael Hector was their best centre-back and he's now... Third choice, I'd presume. Third or fourth choice. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's that's the thing. He was clearly their best centre-back last year. Um, But, I mean, they've changed pretty much the whole team. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. you, you look at their, their starting 11 um, each week, and there's generally one or two players that played last season. Kearney plays, mm. Mitrovic plays, or Harrison Reid plays. Cavaliero, um, that's about it. Cavaliero, yeah, Ivan Cavaliero. But, again, he, like, he'd played in the Premier League before. Yeah. Mitrovic had played in the Premier League before and, and done well. Harrison Reid had been at Southampton. Everybody was was aware of him. Uh, Josh Onama, everybody was aware of him. Kearney's been around a long time. Everybody's acknowledging how good of a player he is. Whether he really should be starting for Fulham, I don't know. I, I think he should be more of a squad option, but he is a good player. Um, he got dropped last week, didn't he, if I remember he correctly? Did, he did. Mm. He didn't play last week, and, and they looked a little bit better without him. Mm. Uh, they also dropped Mitrovic. And they had a lot more movement in the team, which was interesting to see. Yeah. You'd wonder how that will play out, because I don't think he'll take too well sitting on the bench. Um, as for City, I mean, they'll be they'll be very disappointed to be sitting in 11th place. They do have the game in hand, and if they win the game in hand, they would jump to uh, potentially into fourth. However, that game in hand is against Villa, who are level on points with them and one place above based on goal difference. So that wouldn't be an easy game. Um, You would expect City to win this game comfortably, though, at home, uh, coming off a 5-0 win last weekend, a draw in midweek away to Porto was a decent result and and secured their place in the the next round of the Champions League. 
Um, or as Frank Lampard likes to say, it's the second part of the Champions League. It's two parts. One is the part before Christmas. One is the part after Christmas. Uh, big brain Frank Lampard there. Um, <laughs> I shouldn't be mean. But um, it's what I do. Anyway, um, yeah, you'd expect City to win this game pretty comfortably. They will expect to win this game pretty comfortably. We we know City are going to end up in the title battle. They might not get close enough to win it, but I, they are going to end up top four. There's just too much quality there. There's Pep. There's there's just no way. There's no way they don't finish top four. Um, I will say City win this game 4-1. Yeah, stylistically. Man City, we saw with Burnley, they, they, they beat the... To be harsh, the fodder of the Premier League. That's what they've always yeah. done. I mean, <clears throat> you look, like City are only going to be potentially without Aguero this weekend. Um, Fulham are, again, they're only without Kenny Tete, who'll be back in a couple of weeks. Terence Congolo and Josh Onima, they're both out Congolo because he mm. was... Um, I don't think any of them are starters, really. No, they're not. So only Aguero is a starter likely to be missing from this game, but they do have Gabriel Jesus, who's a very good goal scorer. So... With both teams at full strength, you expect City to win comfortably. Yeah, exactly. Now, the next game, this one's probably one of the more interesting ones of the week. And to be honest, West Ham v Man United. Um, West Ham, who you had very little expectation for at the mm. start of the season against Man United, who, despite being awful, are doing quite well re- results-wise and position-wise in the league. Obviously, I think they can go fifth with a game in hand, depending on other results, obviously. Um, but should this be a game West Ham can target? Or they'll sit deep and that doesn't suit Man United's pretty much one weapon of pace or pass to Bruno and see what happens. Um, and West Ham, Antonio's back and we know, well, we saw Maguire midweek who... Um, them sloppy goals where he was sat down at least three times, like at least fifty times by Neymar. Um, yeah, yeah, not good. Yeah. Um, so this, I, I'd say, this is an opportunity for West Ham. Really, I think at home, this is a big opportunity for West Ham. They've won their last three on the bounce. They gave Liverpool a, a tough game. Um, prior to that, they had drawn with Man City. Drawn with Spurs after after a great comeback, uh, beaten Leicester, beaten Wolves, and then lost a tough one to Arsenal. So mm. you take out their first game of the season when they lost at home to Newcastle and were dreadful, and they have been pretty good ever since. Mm-hmm. Um, United have not done well in the Premier League at all, and you know I know that they sit ninth, but they haven't played well. Yeah, they had twenty good minutes against Newcastle. They played well against Everton, and they played well in the second half of this one. They beat West Brom undeservingly. Yeah, they lost to Arsenal. They bored everybody to tears against Chelsea. Um, they got hammered by yeah. Southampton imploded. I mean, that is what happened. Southampton were two two nil up and cruising. And they fell apart. United have been awful in the Premier League this season. And they had been balancing it out by being really good in the Champions League. And then they fell apart in the Champions League. Maybe in they've week. swapped it around. <laughs> Maybe that's what they're going to do. And, yeah. But the, the problem is that be they out. need to win their... They, need, <laughs> they, they can't afford to lose their next Champions League game. Because if Leipzig beat them, United... And as you would assume PSG will beat uh, Istanbul Besiktas. So 
that would be United out of the Champions League if they lose to Leipzig in Leipzig on Tuesday night. So you would wonder, will Oli have half an eye on that game? Will he rest some players for this one? Mm. If he does, you know West Ham are going to be at full strength or close to it. Um, United have most of their players back. Rashford has a shoulder injury that mm. Oli refused to take him off with. Um, despite him signaling to come off early in, earlier in the game. Luke Shaw is out, and Phil Jones is out. So mm. they're, they'll be close to full strength. You'd imagine Rashford will play. And for West Ham, it's just Yarmolenko who's out with, with COVID. Everybody else is fit. Mm. So they'll be at full strength. So it is just a matter of whether United rotate or not. And I kind of get the impression that they might. Um, mm. I think West Ham have an opportunity here. But you do have to respect the quality in that United team going forward. Rashford, Greenwood, Cavani, mm. Martial, Bruno, Donny van de Beek, Pogba, if he plays. Like, there's a lot of weapons there. So I'm going to say 2-2. Mm. I think Mikel Antonio will cause them absolute nightmares. Yeah. I, I think, really I, do. I think he just... I think he's like... He's like Vardy a bit, obviously not similar in, in style of play, but he seems to just get better as the as the team gets better he's playing against. That's the thing, and he gets better as he gets older as well. Mm. Like no I guarantee you, if you polled every centre back in the league and mm. said, Not not who is the best striker you played against, but most who annoying. do you dislike playing against the yeah. most? Him and Vardy. A hundred percent him and Vardy would be the two answers. Mm. If because... he was if he was like twenty four playing like this, he'd be going to a Top six team. Yes, without question. Yeah, without question. I'd imagine Danny Ings might get a couple of votes in that poll as well because Danny Ings yeah. is also a pain in the backside to play against. But I mean, Antonio is just—he's—he's he's just a physical beast. I mean, he's basically Adama Traore, but bigger in terms of his physique he's, and has like, end product. <laughs> yeah, he's just and he's like he can bully anybody. He doesn't care. He's not concerned by reputation or anything like that. He just goes out and does his does his thing. The crazy thing about him is he can play pretty much anywhere. I mean, he's played wing. He, we, we remember wing playing back wing back under a few years ago. <laughs> yeah. And he absolutely annihilated us from there. <laughs> yeah. um, obviously, he can play wide, plays through the middle. He's had such a strange career. I mean, Tooting and Mitchum United is, is where he uh, spent his early years. Then went on to Reading. Spent time on loan at back at Tooting and Mitcham, Cheltenham, Southampton, Colchester, uh, Sheffield United, now home of, of Big Tone. Um, sorry, she- Sheffield Wednesday, I should say. Um, apologies to all Sheffield United fans. Uh, yeah, Sheffield you, Wednesday. You don't, anyway. want, you don't want that. <laughs> don't want that smoke. Don't want that smoke. Uh, Leeds fans are salty enough. You don't want to. You don't want to annoy the Yorkshire folk. Um, you know, then Forest, and then he went to West Ham, and I think. When he went to West Ham, they paid a big chunk of money from like seven, eight million. And people were a little bit surprised by it. But I mean, he just, he only, had, he only had the one <laughs> season with Forrest. But now, I mean, it just looks like a bargain. Even though, mm. like, his goal return is never spectacular, other than last year when he had 10 and 24. But like, eight, nine, three, six, it, it, it's never massive numbers, in large part because he's always hurt. Every yeah. year he misses a bunch of games with injury. But when he plays, he is just a monster. And he undermines from the first time he's been the striker, hasn't he? Because he's always, what, Arnautovic for a bit. Halle yeah, he's, he's normally played kind of to, the, to a wide role. Yeah. 
Hernan, I'd love Hernandez to see and all boys. that jazz. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. oh. <laughs> the late, I, I'd love the late to see Billy Moyes be, <laughs> I'd love to see Moyes be brave and play him and Haller as a two mm. and just go and try and like knock the life out of teams I mean if they just Lindelof is not good in the game if they just put them two on Lindelof they will win the ball <laughs> yeah that's the thing and Haller a brilliant link player he's much better when playing mm-hmm. as one of a two so I, I genuinely feel that that is something that would work really well but um, yeah, I think two-two in this game. I I think we, I think we will we'll see United rest a couple of players and West Ham are in such good form. And last week against Villa, they you know, they got a big big win against a good team. So yeah, I, I think um, I think West Ham get get a point here. Can uh, can Man United afford to? I mean, we saw midweek. Um, I don't think Cavani played, did he? And we saw Martial. Miss an open goal and a one v one. Cavani played through the middle and Martial played on the left. Ah, uh, yes, of course Rat- he did. Right, yes, he yeah, did. yes, he did. But uh, Cavani seems to be the only one who can score goals outside of Bruno. So can, can he'd probably be the one you'd earmark for a rest cost. You might rest Martial. Yes, because he played awfully. Mm-hmm. I wonder but, if mm-hmm. they will rest. I think if they have to leave Rashford out, it means Greenwood and Dan James come in because you might. That's it. That's if you rest Martial. If if Rashford can't play or you 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 want to protect him a little bit, then maybe you just leave him out and you bring in Greenwood for him. But then it's a lot to ask of Edinson Cavani to play mm-hmm. forty five minutes. Then you know start against PSG, start here, then start Tuesday. At his age, given he hadn't played a whole bunch up until that point, so this might be the one where you where you do play Dan James. Maybe, maybe you keep Martial in the team, put him up front, play Greenwood and James on the in in the wide roles, and then Bruno plus two in midfield. Um, it's not ideal for United. It's just not ideal. The timing of mm. the games, a later kickoff on the Saturday than the Tuesday night. Um, it, it's not it's not perfect, and I think Ollie's probably a bit annoyed about it. He probably would have wanted the first kickoff. He probably would have wanted the the twelve thirty just to have that extra five or six hours of recovery time. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. It's um, it, I think that'll be a good game. It'll be a good game. But there's there's actually a good a few decent games. And next up, we have Chelsea v Leeds, the uh, spy gate of the of the managers Lampard yeah. and Bielsa. Um. Chelsea obviously had a bit of a mixed start to the season. Obviously settled in now, um, second in the form table. Uh, drew last game in the horrendous, boring draw with Tottenham. Um, but they've they've improved. They seem to have settled. Maybe it took one of the star assets and Havertz being out with COVID, but he seems to have found a, a system and and group of players that settle finally. Yeah, he does. Now he's been. Fortunate in the in the run of games that they've had, mm-hmm. um, the only teams that Chelsea are yet to beat a team likely to finish in the top half this season. Mm. You know they they lost to Liverpool, they drew with Southampton, they drew with United, they drew with Spurs. They've been beating the fodder, mm-hmm. Burnley, Sheffield United, um, Palace will drew, probably finish fourteen. Drew at West Brom and we're, we're lucky. We're lucky to beat Brighton on the first day of the season as well. 
So they have had a fortunate run of fixtures in the Premier League. I mean, Newcastle, again, will be bottom half. So you, you want to see them get those those quality wins, the wins against the team in the top half, before you really start to write them into anything like the top four. Um, Leeds will be a big, big test for them because Leeds play such an aggressive style. Now, the, the one thing for Chelsea in this game is that Leeds do leave themselves quite open at the back mm-hmm. uh, because of that aggressive man-to-man defensive style. So... You, you know Chelsea are going to create chances. It's just a matter of whether they can take them or not. I mean, they've been quite wasteful this year. Timo Werner has struggled in front of goal. Yeah. Um, but as you said, since ha- ha- since Kai Havertz went out of the team, they do look a lot better balanced, and they tend to they tend to be more forceful going forward. Do you think it helps uh, Werner having Tammy Abraham up there? Because at Leipzig, we saw him mostly play with, with a pulse and or a... Yeah, um, I think it does. I think, I think it's better with... Called? <laughs> I can't remember his name. Um, uh, Patrick Schick. That's the one. Yeah, I, I do think it helps. I think it helps him have a reference point in attack. He's much better and more comfortable playing on the left of the front three. Um, and I think Zayic is comfortable on the right of that front three. Mm-hmm. The problem is that that doesn't leave a spot in the team for Kai Havertz, who they spent and the better part of. Well, there's the other thing. Now... I think we'll see Pulisic come back in and maybe battle um, Zayic for that right-sided mm. spot. I, mean, I think Pulisic will be more effective on the right side as well. I think it'll simplify the game a little bit mm-hmm. for him. We know he's a great dribbler. We know he can get his shot away and he can create chances. The midfield balance with with Mount, Kante and Kovacic is quite good. You would still prefer to see a bit more defensive solidity there, a little bit more of a holding presence but it has worked quite well. Havertz and, and Kovacic combine mm-hmm. very, very well as kind of pressing number eights. Um, Leeds are going to cause them problems. Leeds will overload and they will throw men forward. And that's going to, if Thiago Silva plays, this will be his, this will be a real awakening for him as mm-hmm. to what the Premier League has to offer. Now, Leeds are one of one, but this is going to be a much tougher game than, you know, Newcastle or, or any of those games where teams just lob yeah. lob long balls in and, and nod at him. Bamford is in that, in that annoying striker list. Exactly. Bamford is a pain in the backside. So I think Chelsea will have enough to win this game, but I think it's going to be 3-2. I think there'll be goals. I think there'll be entertainment. Mm. Um, and I think there's going to be um, an interesting introduction on the sideline. be really inter- interesting to see how those two interact with each other. Unfortunately, there's no fans um, no Leeds fans, I should say, because it would have been nice to hear "Stop Crying" Frank, yeah. Frank Lampard. Uh, <laughs> but we'll get that the return leg, so it'll be mm. fine. But I'll go three to three two to Chelsea. And, and just before we move on, we we've seen in the last couple of games Rafinha from Leeds, who mm. obviously was it Rennie was signed from or was it Leeds? Ren, yeah, Ren. It, it, not someone that I imagine most people would have known beforehand, but he he, he seems impressive. I've only watched him in the last couple of games myself. Yeah, he is really impressive. He was very, very good for Ren last season. Helped them get Champions League. Um, by all accounts, didn't really want to leave, but the financial um, package for for Ren was was quite imp- important. It allowed them to turn around and sign Jeremy Doku. He obviously would have got a big bump in wage to go to Leeds as well, and he he started well. He he missed the first, I think, seven games of the season with injury, but since he's come into the team, he has looked really good. 
and um, and he settled in really quickly. And he's a really creative player, so that will help Leeds. One of the things they were struggling with was creating clear chances. We're getting a lot of half chances, and they were forcing errors from defenders more so than creating open chances themselves. He will help hugely with that. Yeah, yeah, he looks impressive, and he looks like, to to coin the phrase from Twitter and the younger generation, the sauce player. <laughs> yeah, very much so, very much so, and they need him because Pablo Hernandez is still out. Mm. He was the, the the sauce guy last year. Um, Diego Loriente is out for them. Adam Forshaw, Gaetano Berardi, uh, Jack Harrison should be fit. He's another. He's another player with, with some underrated sauce that mm. people need to keep an eye on. Um, so, you know, they are missing a couple of creative players, so they do need him sort of to be at his best. Uh, Chelsea are the only team in the league with no injuries at the moment. No injuries. That, that should change at some point. <laughs> at some point that is going to change, and then we will see how they cope. Because everybody else, like, you look through the list, Arsenal have currently four players unavailable. Uh, mm. or, or doubtful. Villa have eight, Burnley, uh, Brighton have eight, Burnley have seven, Palace have five, Everton have three, Fulham have three, Leeds have six, Leicester have four, Liverpool have 11, Jeez. City have one, Man United have three, Newcastle have eight, Sheffield United have three, Southampton have four, Spurs have five, West Brom four, West Ham one, and Wolves three. Now, Again, some of the players that are listed as doubtful will be fine. They will play this weekend. Some of them aren't players that would have played anyway, but everyone else is dealing with injuries except Chelsea. Mm. You know, so it does it, it does it does kind of point to uh, having a strong squad and having been able to rotate and also having had a slightly easier run of it yeah. than others. And the easiest Champions League group as well, just to add on. Yeah. So if it didn't I can't remember who they played, but I'm sure they won four definitely in the middle of the week. Um, yeah, they played Sevilla, who haven't oh. been good this year. Mm. Um, they played Wren, who haven't been good this year, and Krasnodar from yes. Russia, who, you know, I mean, if you're not beating them, you might as well give up and go home. Exactly. Um, but yeah, that's a, that'll be a good game as well. Uh, moving on to Sunday, West Brom v Crystal Palace. Um, Palace... Is Zaha, well, the only question to ask is Zaha back? Yeah, so obviously he's missed the last couple of games. Um, he is expected back for this one. He's obviously been uh, self-isolating uh, due to COVID, um, but he is expected back. Luka Milivojevic is expected back as well. He also was out with the COVID uh, Connor Wickham, Wayne Hennessy, and Nathan Ferguson all ruled out. But again, it's unlikely that any of them would have started. Maybe Ferguson would would be starting, but I mean Wickham's a squad player and Hennessy's Hennessy's a squad player. So the the Zaha one is huge. If he's back, Palace are are a totally different team. Um, West Brom, Jake Livermore is a doubt. Kieran Gibbs is a doubt. Sam Field and Connor Townsend are unlikely to play. So. You know, losses on both sides, especially if Livermore is out. Uh, Livermore is a very important player for West Brom. They come into the into this game not very happy with where they are in the league. Obviously, 18th, one win, uh, three draws, six points. Struggling to score goals, struggling to not concede goals. 
Last time out, uh, they did get their win over a very, very poor Sheffield United team. And the, the time and the game before that, they were unfortunate not to get a point at least from Old Trafford. So, I mean, they should come in with a bit of confidence. And at home, you would expect them to be up for this game. You would expect them to be a little bit more dominant on the ball. They've got good players there in Pereira, um, Gallagher, Diangana, assuming he starts again, Carden Grant. But, I mean, Palace, Palace have better players than West Brom. There's just no way around that. Um, especially if Zaha plays. Zaha will be the best player on the pitch. But at home, I think I'm going to go with West Brom in this one. I think I'm going to go for 2-1 West Brom. Normally, I would suggest that this ends up as a as a nil-nil draw, but I, this isn't really the season for nil-nil draws. Mm. So I'm going to say 2-1 to West Brom in a fairly tight game that may not be the best aesthetic game of the weekend. Yeah, certainly an more, probably more important for West Brom than, than Palace because Palace, Palace will just ball the way to safety by March, <laughs> let's be honest. Um, a huge game for uh, Sheffield United up next against Leicester who have slipped up a bit recently. Um, but are Sheffield the team to take advantage of uh, maybe an overplayed injury hit Leicester team? Yeah, so Leicester obviously were in good form, got beaten comfortably by Liverpool and have not looked the same since. Um, Back-to-back disappointing results in the Europa League, a draw with Sporting Braga, who they should have beaten comfortably, and last night they lost to Zorya Luhansk. Um, Didn't Sionchu get injured as well? Sionchu, yeah. So Brendan decided that the best thing to do with Ricardo Pereira, Cagnacioncu and Wilf Ndidi, all of whom have been out for months, was to traipse them all the way across to the Ukraine and start them in a game. Uh, Sionchu lasted 16 minutes. Beautiful. And had to come off. Ndidi uh, lasted 56 minutes and had to come off. And Pereira was taken off at halftime. Now, those last two might have been planned, but Ndidi didn't look entirely comfortable coming off the field. So I I wonder if he's maybe got a bit of a niggle as well. Um, I mean, this is a game Leicester should win because uh, let's not beat around the bush. Sheffield United are awful this season. They are absolutely Mm. awful. No team in the history of the Premier League has had a a worse first 10 games. Nobody. They are on course to have the all time worst season in Premier League history. By a mile. Now, they can look at the teams that have also had terrible starts and maybe take a bit of confidence in the fact that there's been a couple of teams that have started the season with three points from ten and managed to stay up. And, you know, they can look at last season and know that they finished ninth and know that they're capable of beating a lot of Premier League teams. But... There doesn't seem to be any real fight in this team at the minute. Mm. Um, there's a lack of desire that's quite blatant, in my view. Mm. Last time out against West Brom, they did create a couple of decent chances. Um, but like they faulted the likes of George Baldock, who, I mean, he, he, he's not the one you want in that situation. Mm. Um, there's already a six-point gap as well. That's, see, this is the problem. 
the the gap is opening between them and safety. As you said, six points between them and Fulham in 17th. But not just that, four points between them and Burnley in 19th mm. already. Like, and Burnley have a game in hand, five points to West Brom. And then it's nine points to Brighton. So, mm. you know, it, it, it's getting to the point where, like, their only chance of survival is going to be to overhaul Burnley, West Brom and Fulham. And right now, you wouldn't back them to do it. You yeah. wouldn't back them to win a game this season. No wins. No yeah. wins in 10. One point. And that point, they were blessed to get because Fulham missed a penalty and then gave away a stupid penalty to give West Brom a late draw. But they, they in all likelihood, should be sitting here on no points. Ni point, as they like to say <laughs> in the Eurovision. They've scored four goals, guys. Four. Like, you're just not going anywhere with that sort of uh, horrendous form in front of goal. Leicester should win this game comfortably. I'm going to say Leicester win this game 3-1, but I did say at the start of the, the season that if things go bad for Brendan Rodgers, he does struggle to turn them around. And last season when things went bad, they struggled desperately, and mm. their second half of the season was dreadful. Now, they started this season quite well. Even though they've lost four games, it's worth pointing out, they have lost four league games already this season. Um, but if things keep going wrong for Brendan, he will struggle to turn things around mid-season. The break helped them last year between the end of the season and start a new season, and they managed to shake it off. And you would expect that with getting their players back, they should get better. They should be, you know, better off. Sayonchu is, is definitely out of this one. Uh, Wes Morgan is definitely out of this one. Daniel Amarty is out. And Timothy Castanier faces a fitness test. Now, you'd imagine Ricardo Pereira won't start because it would be suicidal to start him having just come back. You'd imagine Wilf Ndidi doesn't start. So it'll be a similar team to what they threw out last week. Um, Sheffield United, no end of Stevens, uh, no Ethan Ampadu by by the looks of it. Uh, Jack O'Connell ruled out for the season. End of Stevens is as a fitness test, so he might make it, but I guess Ampadu misses out, and uh, O'Connell is definitely out. If Leicester don't win this one, they might start to tumble down the table a little bit, mm. because as I say, Brendan does struggle a little bit, and. You know, they've got Brighton after this, but then they've got Everton, Spurs, United, Palace away, Newcastle away, Chelsea, Southampton, and Everton again. Like, that's a rough run of games. Brighton is the only one you'd look at and go, well, that should be three points. But, like, Everton will be tough. Spurs are really good this year, and that's at Spurs. United have always done well against Leicester. Um... And Palace and Newcastle away, they're horrible games. They're just they're teams that will just cause you problems on the their home turf. Vardy's kryptonite them games. Yeah, do you know, he does just at those big boggy pitches that, that yeah. you tend to get at Selhurst Park. No space they, at all. <laughs> no, that, that's it. Like defense can just sit, you know, on the six yard box, midfield sits just in front of them, and the striker sits just in front of them, but somehow they're also really high up the field. It's it's a weird, weird yes. um Dimensions. It's a, a science so. that nobody understands, other than old. I'm not British sure they managers. haven't inver- like reversed the dimensions of the pitch, where yes. 
rather than being 100 metres uh, long, it's 100 metres wide, so they can just string the defence across it. But, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, Leicester need to win this game. But on the flip side, Sheffield United need to win this game. But I have no faith in them. I have lost all faith in Sheffield United at this point. And I don't know that they're going to be able to turn this around. Like, when you when you just look at how bad the start of the season has been. Like, the two worst teams in the history of the Premier League, Derby County and Sunderland. Derby County got 11 points in 07-08. Sunderland got 15 in 05-06. Derby took six points from their first 10 games. Sunderland took five. So they're the way below the pace those teams set. Um, two teams have taken two points from the first 10 games. City in 95-96, Sunderland again in 16-17. Both of them got relegated. Five teams managed three points. Swindon in 93-94, Everton in 94-95, Palace in 13-14, and Huddersfield and Newcastle in 18-19. Swindon and Huddersfield both went down. The other three managed to stay up. Everton stayed up on the last day of the season with a, with a late goal. Um, Didn't Palace bring in Tory Pulis? No, was that not when the Hodgie arrived? 13-14? I don't think so. Hang on. I think there was... Was it Pulis? Oh, I think you're right. This and is the Pulis year. Pulis, Allardyce, Pardew, And was De Boer. It? Oh, yeah. Well, Pardew, De Boer. Some... Hodgie, I think it was. They've had some stinkers of managers. It's beautiful, they isn't it? And the best one is Sam <laughs> That is some stinky management. Like, let's see, 13-14. Yeah, so Ian Holloway starts the season. Mm. Explains the Keith, start. <laughs> with us. Keith Millen takes over. Then Pulis takes over. And, yeah, has the miracle turnaround. Gets them to 11th after that rotten start. Um, then he falls out with them at the start of the next season and quits like on the on the it's eve of the fall, season. Yeah. Uh, something to do with money. Don't then they go. Oh, this is brilliant. They go Keith Millen. Mm-hmm. Then they bring in Neil Warnock. Yes. Then back to Millen. Yes. Then it's Pards. Pards <laughs> arrives uh, just after Christmas. Cup a final. New Year press. Uh, gets into the cup final. Does a little dance. Yes. <laughs> um, then gets. Gets the heave hole the next season uh, <laughs> in what would have been his. He, he was just under two years there. He came in like January 2nd or 3rd, left December uh, 22nd, 2016. Then it's Big Sam comes in, gravy everywhere. Then they decide we're going to go a different way. Well, he did, he goes for plan. the England job, doesn't he? Yeah, he he, yeah. he decides to go and, and, and embarrass himself as England manager. Yes. Um, Frankie De Boer comes in. We're going a different way. It's a new era at Palace, a new plan. He gets about 27 minutes in the job. He's out the tour, and the Hodgie is in. I mean, that is that is an abomination. I mean, that is just a horrible, horrible run of um, footballing dinosaurs. Now You know Eddie Howe's next. He's the cross between the Boer and British. <laughs> I I wouldn't be surprised. I really wouldn't be surprised. Um, I mean, the crazy thing is, like, Holloway had brought them up mm. and they just binned them off really early in the season. Obviously, he'd taken over from Dougie Friedman, who had left 
he, he walked out to take the 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 Bolton job. Didn't he come, and the isn't reward, he sporting director now? Yeah, the reward to him was to then bring him back as sporting director. Um, despite him having absolutely no qualifications to do said role. Um, before him, they had George Burley. Before him, Paul Hart. Before him, Neil Warnock again. Mm. Oh, Palace fans. Peter Taylor. Dude, oh, man. no, no, no. Oh, this is this is just harsh. Ian Dowie. He got the Andy Johnson's 20 penalties <laughs> this season. Ian Dowie, that's, I mean, you know, like, Steve Kember. Who knows him? Is the ball their only forward manager? Uh, wasn't Doogie Freeman Scottish? <laughs> Non-British manager. Uh, yeah, I would say so. I would say so. Um, Steve Kember. He's the chief scout now. He's been a caretaker manager a few times. Kit Simons was a caretaker. Trevor Francis. Dear me. I mean, this is... Steve Bruce. Oh, yes. He's due a return. Return there. Alan Smith. I mean, Steve Koppel. Steve Koppel, in fairness, is a good manager, but... Mm. Harry Venables. Yeah, I, I do think... Well, Attilio Lombardo was manager for six weeks um, in... Two th- sorry, in 1998. So is that what put him a foreign manager? <laughs> must have been. <laughs> must have been. Um, that is, I'm sorry, Crystal Palace fans. That is just an unfortunate, um, an unfortunate run of managers that you've had there. Uh, hopefully, whoever you get next actually, you know, wants to play some fun football. Now, I will say mm. uh, it, it is important that they keep Hodgson in some sort of advisory role because mm. he knows. A lot about football, and you know, I can laugh at him because his football, his style of play is incredibly dull and boring. But he he does know a lot about football. Um, but yeah, looking back through their history of managers, and the only two I think that were non-British, yeah, would be Attilio Lombardo, seven games. And Frank De Boer, five games. Beautiful. Other than that, it has always been British managers. Well, this begs the question, how long does Sheffield United stick with Chris Wilder? So, uh, I think Wilder's a special case because because of where they were when he took them over. Like They were an average League One team, and he brought them into the Premier League. I, I do think he will get the whole season, and if they go down, he'll stay. Mm-hmm. I don't think they will look to make a change. I think I think he has done so much for them that they will stick with him no matter what. Um I think that is the right decision. I really do. I think there's there's a few managers who just deserve mm. that sort of support and backing. They now that Burnley with Daesh. That's the thing. Like he brought them up, they got relegated, they stuck with him. And he brought them back up. And I think Wilder would do the same. The only thing that may go against him is they may look at the amount of money they've spent. Mm. Like Ramsdale was a big money signing. Sander Berger last January, big money signing. Brewster, big money signing. So they may look at that and say, you know what? We've backed him with everything we can back him with. We don't 
you know, they might panic and go, look, we need to stay in this league. We need to stay in this league because of how much money we've outlaid. But I would hope that they have the common sense to keep him and stick with him because I, I think Chris Wilder is a tremendous manager. Um, I think he is struggling this season to get things right, but he also seems to be quite distracted by having a, a war of words with Jurgen Klopp. Mm. Um when really he shouldn't be opening his mouth and he should just be focusing on getting his team on track. Yeah, very true, very true. Um, but somehow we made a list of Crystal Palace managers from the Sheffield United Leicester game. Yes, uh, we did. Let's which, is, it, to be fair, it's important research considering what's going on there. Did I give a score? Did I get? I, I, I think you said, Leicester. yeah, I'm pretty sure, yeah. 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 Um, moving on to the North London derby. Um, Spurs coming off Mourinho being Mourinho and just boring the life out of the game against Chelsea last week. Um, now we have two horrendously boring managers because Arteta is, Arteta's Arsenal is one of the most horrendous teams to watch right now. Yeah, they're a little bit painful. Um... Amazingly, they've taken 15 points in their Europa League group and only 13 points in the Premier League. Uh, Four wins, one draw, and five defeats. (sighs) Look, I want to be really supportive of him because he he came in and he did tell them it needs to be torn down and built back up. We need to start from the very bottom and rebuild this club. And rebuilds take time, especially when you don't have massive amounts of money. Now, I know they did spend a decent chunk in the summer, but it's not like they can go and spend $150 million in a window and buy three or four top players who walk into is, the team. Is that the difference between Arteta and Lampard at the moment, you reckon? Yes, 100%. Well, look, Lampard took over a team that finished third and won the Europa League, and he spent near enough $300 million. And he was given mm. Christian Pulisic as a welcome to the club present who was another 60 million. So it's chalk and cheese. Arteta took over an Arsenal team. Like, you know when you had a bunch of of Chelsea fans in the summer say, um, this club was dying and Frank turned it round and all that garbage that didn't mean anything because they were better off. The Europa League winners, Chelsea. Europa League winners who finished third (laughs) were a dying club, allegedly. Arsenal were actually a dying club. Not now that's hyperbole, mm. of course, but like they had been in a rut. It had gone sour under Wenger. Wenger had stayed too long. And it had all gone stale. Players had been there too long. They'd bought a bunch of bad players. And then Emery comes in, and I mean he's not bringing joy to any situation. It, it the mentality that. was gone. The squad was just it was trash. It's and similar to Liverpool's situation in, with Hodgson. I, Rafa is Wenger. Hodgie is Emery. Is Emery. And Kenny and Rogers together are Arteta. Mm. You could argue Kenny, <laughs> Kenny is kind of... Hodgson, Kenny is kind of their Emery era. Mm. Because it, it obviously went bad under Kenny at the end in terms of the league form. I know he won the League Cup, but the league form was was terrible in the mm. second half that season. Um, and I think Rodgers was sort of the Arteta. Yeah. And obviously it didn't work for Rodgers, but he did get Liverpool 
to the brink mm. of winning the title. Well, time, time will tell with Arteta if, if Rodgers... Because 13-14, then he just exploded in 14-15. just depends on how that goes. Now, he Arteta had Suarez. Situation. Now, Arteta mm. doesn't have Suarez. And I, I do think Arteta will stick more to his principles and his vision of how this team is going to play. Rodgers completely abandoned everything because mm. Rodgers, after six months, was on the hot seat and facing the sack. Mm. And the he players abandoned... did suit it, to be fair, as well. Yeah, well, he just abandoned his philosophy to just turn around and say, okay, Suarez is, is the nine and we're going to play everything through him. Mm-hmm. We're going to put pace and creativity around him. We'll get legs in midfield with Henderson and we're just going to run. And we are going to just overwhelm teams by going forward and attacking. And yes, we will concede two and three, but we'll score four, five, and six. And it worked. It worked all the way up until the point where Jose Mourinho rocked up and said, right, mm. you can have a nil-nil draw. I've brought a weakened team because I've got a big game in midweek. You can have a nil-nil draw. Just don't do anything stupid. And Brendan went, nah, and set the team up to attack. And Mourinho just killed him. Just tactically embarrassed him on the day. We, we, uh, we don't we, we don't need reminding, Dave. Just, just well, I, I, I like to remind no. people of, of why I have issues with Brendan Rodgers. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean... I think Arteta has a plan. I don't think he has the ownership. I think they've got bad owners. They really do have bad owners. They don't really have... They've had a lot of upheaval in the boardroom and the you know, the upper echelons of the club over the last year. And obviously, during the summer, there was some key departures with, with people that left. But I think they've settled things down. He needs to get more creativity into the team. I mean, mm. they're not bad defensively. They've only conceded 12 goals, um, which I think after Spurs, is Spurs and Chelsea and West Ham. Oh, and Wolves, sorry. So they do have you know, a top five or six defense. It's just they can't score goals. Look, Arsenal just need to get more creativity in the team. Defensively, they're not bad. I think there's like four or five teams have a better defense than this season. So they're not bad defensively. They just can't score goals. They need to find a way to get creativity from within the squad. Obviously, they didn't register Mesut Ozil, which is, is every day it just makes that decision more baffling. But Emil Smith-Rowe can play because he's an under-21 player. Mm. So find ways to get him into the team. That will bring, bring creativity. Um, and it has to help. It can't, it can't do any harm. I think they need to maybe look at leaving Lacazette on the bench as a squad, as a as a as the bench option, and going with Aubameyang through the middle, Saka left wing. I think they need to go back to a back four. Mm. I understand not, why William's he went with the back three. Mm. No, William shouldn't be in the team. Mm-hmm. He shouldn't be in the team. I mean, Pepe, I know is is suspended for this one. He's good in the Europa uh, League. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, Pepe, he's playing well. Yeah. He's found a little bit of form. Um, he's suspended. Gabriel Martin, uh, Martinelli is injured. Now, if Martinelli was fit, I would want him in yeah, the team. I think he's really good. Thomas Partey has a late fitness test. And David Luiz has a late fitness test. David Luiz should not Christ. be allowed to play. After what happened last weekend, he needs a couple of weeks out. Of the- um, and I, I, there's been no fallout on these guys. There's been no mm-hmm. fallout on Arteta, no fallout on the club doctor. Those guys should have been hauled over the coals for, for allowing him to play on for, for half yeah, an hour. Exactly. Clearly concussed. Um, for Spurs, injury-wise, Toby Alderweireld is out. Harry Kane is is facing... Oh, sorry. Alderweireld could be back. 
Kane is facing a late fitness test. Now, I have doubts over the the, the realism of this. I think it's <laughs> yeah. just Jose playing mind games. Um, regular on the same. Carlos Vinicius has a fitness test. Eric Lamella is is likely out. Um, look, Spurs are the better team. Spurs are top of the league. Arsenal are 14th. Arsenal struggled to create chances. Spurs, we know, are good defensively. Spurs look very good in attack, though Arsenal are solid enough defensively this year. I, I think Spurs win the game. I think they win it 2-0. But I do think Arsenal, if they can just find ways to get the ball to Aubameyang in somewhat resembling dangerous areas, not on the halfway line. Like, if they can get the ball to him in the final third, maybe he can unlock that defense and, 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 and drag them to victory. But as I said, like they, I think they need to look at moving Lacazette to the bench, Aubameyang centrally as the nine, Pepe when he comes back on the right, um, until Martinelli's fit, whenever that is. And you go Saka on the left of that front three. So Pepe, Aubameyang, Saka as your front three. I think that's, I think that's strong. I really do. And if you can go with, say, Emil Smith-Rowe, Thomas Partey, and maybe Elneny for a bit more, you know, dog work in midfield, that could work. Tierney and Bellerin as fullbacks. Gabriel plus one in the middle. The problem for them is they don't have another centre-back that you trust. The next best centre-backs, William Saliba, not registered, um, and Pablo Mari, who's also left-footed, so you can't really play him and, and Gabriel together in a two. But, I mean, the makings of something good is there for Arsenal. If you if you look at that, that of what I've just listed out, you'd want an upgrade at right-back, and you'd want a right-side centre-back. There's two. You'd want one more in midfield, because I really do think Smith-Rowe can establish himself. But if they could add one more in midfield with him and Partey, and then up front, they're fine. So I really just think three players, they get a really good midfielder in, a good attacking right back, and a proper centre-back to play next to uh, Gabriella. Maybe maybe that's William Saliba. Maybe it is. But I don't think Arsenal are as far away as people think they are. I just think Arteta needs to maybe stop being as loyal to certain players and maybe stop considering what wages certain players earn as to whether or not they should be in his squad or in his team rather yeah um f- from Spurs a point you mentioned that the the injured oh let's put injured in Emma in air quotes uh injured players um, I don't know I don't, there's no point even talking about the Europa League game midweek I, I didn't even know the score but I imagine that team was hella weak but Spurs obviously top of the table um at the more but on paper, they should win this game 99 times out of 100. But the fact that it's a North London derby and the worst team always seems to surprise in this game, how, how does that affect you? Yeah, I mean, we, we've seen it in the past. Um, even when Spurs were the... Now, to be fair, when Arsenal were the better team in North London, they generally did win the North London derby. Mm. When Spurs were the better team, Spurs would often capitulate in the North, North London derby. And of course, Saint Totteringham's Day was it was a big thing for a long time. Um, I mean, the Spurs in midweek was just weird. They had 
Joe Hart played in goal and was dreadful. Absolutely dreadful. Of course. But, I mean, they did have a lot of quality players. Doherty and, and Davies played as the fullbacks. Davinson Sanchez played centre-back, was god-awful. Jaffa Tanganga came back from injury. He played centre-back. He actually did okay. They went with Hoisberg and LaCelso as the double pivot. And then Bale, Endombele, and Lucas Moura behind Youngman's son. That's a lot so they stronger had a, than I thought it'd be. Yeah, they had a lot of talent. Like, And then he obviously made his, his five subs. And Eric Dyer, Musa Sissoko, Deli Ali, who came on and scored. Serge Aurier and Steven Bergwijn are the ones that came on. So oh, it was yeah. a strong group of players that he played. Unfortunately, they were just badly let down by Davinson Sanchez, who's not in good form. In part because he's, he's not playing every week. I mean, he he has struggled to get game time this season. Mourinho doesn't seem all that keen on him. What is the and, crap with um, him? Because when he was at Ajax, he was the next big brilliant. thing. He was brilliant. Since he hasn't, Spurs, has been very... I know it's natural with a young centre-back, but very up and down. A big part of it is he never had a settled partner. I mean, they played him in a three quite a bit. Then they would play him with, with, with Vertonghen. Then they'd play him with Alderweireld. And the problem there was that when he played with Vertonghen, he played his natural right-side centre-back role. When he played with Toby, they made him switch and play left-side. So he didn't develop properly. He had a couple of years of stagnation. And since since the start of this season, Eric Dyer has been a fixture. Mm. And it's Alderweireld is the first-choice partner for him. But then, I mean, we saw Roden play last week. Uh, we've seen Sanchez play. He, he hasn't just had the game time, really. Mm. He's the type of player that needs games. He's... Do you remember when Sacco would come into the Liverpool team and he'd be garbage for like two mm. games and then he'd play himself into form? Then get Sanchez injured. is exactly yeah, <laughs> then get injured. Sanchez is just like that. If you play him yeah. for a run of ten games, he's gonna be terrible for the first two or three, and then he'll get progressively better. And by the tenth game, you'll be looking at him going, This guy's a top centre back. He just is. But it takes him a long time to get up to that speed. And I think that's the mm. big issue for him this year. Is that someone that could cash in on you think? Because as you mentioned, I think they'll people. sell them. Yeah, because they're linked with the world with Skriniar and stuff, aren't they? Yeah, and it wouldn't surprise me if, Sa- if Sanchez went the other way. I that's wouldn't surprise shame. me if Spurs propose a swap deal, and I think that would work for both teams. Because it think... does not do young people. <laughs> no, but but Sanchez does work well in a three. Yeah. Um, especially in a deep three. Now, Potch's three was a little bit different because he was been asked to play. He's been asked to play with an attacking right back, so he's been asked to cover quite a lot of space. Conte doesn't doesn't allow players to do that. His back mm. three plays a deep back three. There, that's a deep line. Hakimi, I think, Sanchez, who plays middle? Uh, normally, you've got Sensi's in the mix, Barea's in the mix, Brozovic is in the mix, Gagliardini's in the mix. They've got a lot of players that they rotate. Right. Hakimi's the nominal starting right back. Somehow, Ashley Young is the nominal starting left wing back. Lovely. Um. But the, those midfielders, they tend to give a lot of protection, and it tends to be the midfielders who shuttle out and cover for the wing backs. So would it be Bastoni, Devry, Sanchez in this situation as the yeah. back three? Yeah, and that makes I, sense. That would be a solid back three, and it would work better for them than Schrinier, who doesn't like playing in the back three. And Schrinier would work really well for Spurs, like really, really well for Spurs. Mm. But as this is a Premier League pod, we will move on. Um, prediction for this one? 2 0 to Spurs. Interesting. It is. I think Marie, this is the sort of situation Mourinho would add something a lot more different than Potts, you'd presume. 
Yeah, you'd hope so. You'd hope so. I mean, look, their Spurs have been really good this year, and Spurs should be clear at the top of the table. They threw away the Newcastle game. They threw away the West Ham game. They should sit four points clear, um, with their only drop points been that that dull draw at Chelsea and the opening day defeat to Everton. But they should, I mean, they should be clear at the top of the table as it is. They've got the seven goal advantage on Liverpool, um, which is you know the amount of goals Liverpool conceded against Aston Villa, which will tell you, you know, Again, why Spurs are reminded. Don't, don't need Ruby. Well, you know, again, <laughs> we have to keep a keep a balanced nature to the show. Not what I'm um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I mean, you'd expect Spurs to win this game, and it, I don't think it will be that difficult for them either. I think Arsenal are just struggling at the moment; they're just too passive, and Arteta is struggling to find the right balance between staying solid defensively and getting creativity into the team. Yeah, and moving on. Um... Liverpool v Wolves, uh, normally a good game on paper. Liverpool, obviously you mentioned 11 injuries earlier on. Uh, Trent and Naby backing training today, I think Klopp said in his press conference. I I got my Joyce pop-up from Twitter. Um, So that might be two added good options in the squad. Uh, Wolves, not sure on the rest of their injuries, but Jimenez is obviously out pretty much indefinitely. Um, Yeah, I don't think we'll see Jimenez again this mm -hmm. season. Uh, Johnny Castro is ruled out and Roman Sice is is ruled out. Mm. Liverpool basically missing um, everybody. Uh, Alison Becker is ruled out. Trent, I oh, don't I think. I that. think this game is far too early yeah. for Trent. Uh, midweek, maybe. But I think next weekend is when we see Trent again. Um, Naby might make the bench for this one, but I don't think he starts. Andy Robertson has a knock, but is expected to play. Jordan Henderson is expected to play, but you know does have a does have a muscle issue. Joe Gomez out for the season. Van Dijk out for the season. Milner out for however long Chilly it takes the hamstring of a rock of granite to to, to heal. Yeah. Alcantara probably out till January. Um, and Oxley Chamberlain obviously still ruled out as well. So I mean that is a lot of players. That is and Shakiri's ruled out. So you know it's. It, it really isn't ideal. I mean, Liverpool have basically a full team injured. Um, a, a, a team that would, would probably finish top six. Put Paul Glatzel um, even, and Joe even, Hardy in. That's a full it, team. <laughs> that's it. If you, Paul Glatzel's out injured and Joe Hardy's out injured, if you put them up front with a midfield of Ox on one wing, Shaq on the other, Naby and Alcantara in the centre... And then Milner left back, Trent right back, Virgin and Joe, and Ali behind them. I mean that that is a that's a full eleven. That is a full eleven. That'd that's like, not Kevin that'd, Henderson. At all. I'd get I'd get top four. <laughs> that was that was like I mean they'd struggle to score goals, but I mean Paul Glatzel's actually a very good player. Yeah. It's such a shame, mm. such a shame that he's had two horrific injuries that have probably like probably ruined his opportunity to ever mm. become a. I hope, top we, end I hope we look after him. So do I. I, mm. I like uh, he's such a talented player. It really is a shame. Really, really is a shame. But look, the one area where Liverpool are still fully fit is an attack. So that's that needs to be the mindset. Just go and attack this Wolves team. Um, they're not particularly um particularly adventurous themselves. They did play some attacking football last weekend, which was nice to see, but Wolves have been very, very boring this season. Um, right along with Arsenal, 11 goals scored, 11 goals conceded. 
Um, they've had some better results than Arsenal, but they haven't played any better football than the Gunners. Uh, it, this is a tough game for both teams. I think at home, Liverpool should have enough in attack. You'd imagine it's Matip and Fabinho at centre-backs. That, mm-hmm. that pairing has been solid. Nico Williams had a good outing in the week, um, a better outing in the week. Robertson will be fit-ish. I mean, he's been hurt for a couple of weeks now, but he'll be fit-ish. The question mark is who plays in goal. You'd imagine Cueven Kelleher has done enough to keep the spot after mm-hmm. a good performance against Ajax. Um, once again, Ginny Wijnaldum will be rolled out. Never break for him. I'd imagine it has to be Wijnaldum Henderson, assuming Henderson is fit enough to start, and Curtis Jones. Though I do wonder if if uh, Klopp might just go with a midfield two of Henderson and, and Wijnaldum. Yeah. And... Um, and bring in a fourth attacker, maybe play Jota, Mane, Salah, and Firmino. But um, yeah, I mean, it's not ideal for Liverpool, but it is what it is, and, and they'll get through it. And I think they win this game two one. Yeah, it it it's a tough one. I mean, Wolves the only question mark. Well, not the only one, but would it just be Andre Silva straight in, or do you think they might put like I don't know Neto as false nine or Pedence or something just to protect the young lad? Yeah, I mean, I, I think they'd, they'd like to probably start Silva because they paid a lot of money for him, but it is a big game and it, it's a it's a big ask to, to bring a young player in. What will be interesting to see in this game is whether Wolves go back to the back three or stick with the back four like they've played in the last two games. Because if they stick with the back four, I wouldn't fancy the chances of being able to keep that Liverpool attack out. Because nobody nobody enjoys seeing Connor Cody play in the back four. He he really struggles. The Bolly Kilman pairing worked better than the mm. the Bolly Cody pairing against Arsenal. Um Yeah, I, I wonder. I, I you know, he might just go with Adama Pedence and Neto as a front three. He might just do that and, and hope that creativity and pace and a long-range shot from Neto or something uh, is their path to a goal. Mm. Silva did well, though, against Arsenal. It must be he said. Did, I yeah. know he had he, he was brought off again, but he, he hasn't played a whole bunch of minutes. Um, mm-hmm. And they'll be fresh because they, they obviously don't have European football. But I still think Liverpool have enough, and I think Liverpool get the win 2-1. Yeah, and, and last game of the, uh, of the uh, weekend, um, South Coast Derby, Brighton, Southampton. Should be fun. Um, Think Lamptey's back, which is obviously a big thing for Brighton. Um, what what's your take on this one? Right, first of all, I'm going to correct you. This is not a derby. These hey, teams are they're in the same. They're, they're in the same place. Five miles apart. Brighton's in no way, shape, is, or form. Brighton's derby is Crystal Palace. And they're, they're... Brighton's that's exactly it. Neither of these teams have a derby. They're they're one one team, one city. They have rivalries. Brighton's is Crystal Palace. Uh, Southampton's is Portsmouth. Southampton, given Portsmouth, are, are you know not close to being a Premier League team again. They they were okay with Bournemouth, who were you know a little bit closer to them than or a little bit further away than you'd like, but they were close enough to make it it's something interesting. But this is these it, two teams it's have a derby. It's not a derby. It's <laughs> it not a derby. derby. <laughs> no, I refuse to allow it to be called a derby. These teams don't actually care about each other. Like Brighton fans don't care about Southampton. Southampton fans don't care about Brighton. There's a reason they're on Monday night. It's because it's a derby. <laughs> no, it's not a derby. It's not a derby. 
It's not. It's, it's just not. It's, it just isn't. <laughs> like it just isn't. Um, this this that's like saying like Aston Villa against Burnley's a well, derby because they're both be, in and around the middle of the country. Well, it's because Bournemouth got relegated. This is now the South Derby in air quotes. It's like when the only team from the North were Middlesbrough and Leeds, and the made of rivalry. It's like when people used to say, too. "Oh, the Welsh derby between Cardiff and Swansea." It's not a derby. It's just a rivalry. <laughs> And this isn't even a rivalry. They don't care enough about each other. Um, you, you've thrown me off track now with, with, your, with your shenanigans. <laughs> um, yeah, as, as you said, for, for Brighton, it's huge to get Lamptey back. Uh, Adam Lalana is injured in, in a shock to nobody. Of course. <laughs> uh, Alexis McAllister could be back after COVID. Davy Proper should be back. Uh, Neil Mope is expected to make it. Florian Andoni is out. Uh, long term as is Jose Esquerde and Christian Walton is still out with the foot injury that um, you know nobody knows what's actually wrong with him but eight players or sorry seven players there that have currently have injuries um, and Lamptey is back so that's a big one Danny Ings is out Nathan Redmond is out uh, Will Smallbone is out and Salisu is out so the Ings one is the big one um, he, he's mm. He's close. And By Salisu all accounts, he is last close. Week. <laughs> Jesus. Huh? And Salisu after the result last week. Yeah, I mean... Vestergaard. Vestergaard was was an abomination last weekend. He is, he's not a good defender. Hmm. Salisu, I think it's just they're trying to build him up to fitness. That's the only thing. He's not actually injured. It is just building him up to fitness. Hmm. Didn't Bednarak sign a new contract? He did. That's, that's huge news for them. Yeah. Bednarak is really, really good. He's such an important player for them. Um, this is an interesting one. Obviously, Southampton are sixth in the table. They were very briefly top of the table for a couple of hours, which was nice. Uh, Brighton are fifth from bottom, but Brighton have tended to play a little bit better against better teams. Um, Brighton's issue has been scoring goals. They... They didn't do what they should have done this summer. They didn't get that striker that they needed. Um, having having Lamptey back is huge, and I do think Lamptey's going to cause them problems. But I think Southampton will just have a little bit too much for them. Oh, do you know what? I'm going to go with a draw. I'm going to go with a two-two draw because mm. I like Brighton and I'm back on the Brighton hype train. Um, the, the win against Villa was huge. Um, they, Secret Danny Welbeck fan. I knew it. Stop that. I knew it. Stop that. I'll, 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 I'll have you replaced. <laughs> I have the power. I don't actually. I don't have you don't power. because Nina's not going to record for you. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, she's too busy taking selfies. <laughs> um, they they got a great result against Villa. They they deserved at least that point against Liverpool and maybe deserved the win. Um. So I'm going to say they have enough to get a point, and it's at Brighton as well. So, yeah, I'm going to say two-two. I am going to say two-two. And that's it, Dave. That is it. That is our nine games. That is a long podcast. Eddie will not be happy. We're nearly at the hour. We got to blame the Crystal March. Palace manager, but to be it's honest. Crystal Palace managers. That's what threw us off. Uh, Crystal Palace's refusal to uh, be managed by anybody who doesn't speak the Queen's English. Uh, is the reason this podcast ran so long. Um, so thank you, as always, to EPLindex.com, who give us the platform to do this. Uh, do check out all the writing on EPLindex.com, including by myself. Check out the uh, Tad Predictable podcast. Check out the EPL Roundtable podcast. 
Uh, thank you to Liberty Shield, our presenting sponsor. As always, uh, great support from those guys. Uh, Liberty Shield is a VPN provider for those that don't know. Um, so if you if you want to access American Netflix, a VPN can allow you to do that. You just turn it on, change your location, and boom. You're in America. You can get American Netflix. Protects your data. Keeps you safe when you're online. Um means that if you're using your your uh, bank details online, those in, that information is encrypted and it's harder for anybody to, to hack and, and pull away. Um, so do check out libertyshield.com. Use my code EPLVPN to get 20% off at checkout. Thank you to Guy, uh, as always, for his input. And, uh, you know, we'll be having words off air about his Danny Welbeck comment. <laughs> and um, <laughs> No more Tony Pula specials for you. And, uh, I am the podcast, how dare you <laughs> <laughs> Thank you to Fox Hunt for the title music And thank you to you for listening Sorry this one ran long, I uh, hope you've enjoyed it though It's a bit rambly but it is what it is uh, You know, Crystal Palace, just the management history is, is bananas uh, We'll see you next week, take care of yourself, have a good weekend Enjoy the games, bye bye Podcast Network.